The storms hit Ohio. They were the deadliest ever. The year was 1913. A torrent of heavy spring rains led to flooding. This wasn't any flood. This was the Great Flood. And the Great Flood hit Dayton particularly hard. 428 people died. More than 20,000 homes were destroyed. In today's money, damage from the flooding cost more than $2 billion. Devastated, the residents of the Miami Valley began to rebuild. They raised money to create a new system to guard against future flooding. The effort eventually led to the creation of the Miami Conservancy District. And years later, a combination of planning, financing, and legislation resulted in the most comprehensive flood prevention system in the nation. That system still stands today. In Columbus, the stakes were less stark, but the Ohio State football program had also been taken on water. Three seasons had come and gone, and with it, three coaches had come and gone. The biggest blow of all was the departure of Big John Richards. Richards was hired, along with Lynn St. John, to take Ohio State's middling athletic department to new heights. He served as the first ever athletic director for OSU and the head football coach. Meanwhile, St. John served as business manager and coach of the baseball, basketball teams, as well as assistant coach to the football squad. Big John Richards was no small man. His size was only exceeded by his accomplishment on the gridiron. In his playing days, he captained Wisconsin, then returned as coach to lead the Badgers to an exemplary single-loss season. After a careful search, he was hired by Ohio State. OSU saw him as just the man, not only to coach the team, but to lead the program to make the challenging leap to play with the powers of the Western Conference. The Western Conference, the forerunner of today's Big Ten, was a power of its time, and Ohio State was moving up in class, from the Ohio Athletic Conference, which featured the best teams in Ohio, to the Western, which featured the powers of the Midwest. In his first season as coach in 1912, Richards worked his magic. He led the Buckeyes to a first-place finish in the OAC. All the while, Ohio State's athletic department prepared to enter the mighty Western Conference. Big change was afoot. Richards and the Buckeyes looked locked and ready for the road ahead. But it wasn't to be. Richards, who appeared to work his magic on the sideline, saved his greatest trick for the offseason he decided to disappear. Big John quit to pursue a business opportunity in Chicago. Now the Buckeyes were left without a coach, but this time they were facing a challenge they'd never faced before, entering a new level of competition. To succeed, OSU needed stability. They needed a coach who could capture local talent, a coach who was creative, who played a different style of game. Somebody who would work to build something new something better. The moves Ohio State made next made the program we now know today. OSU hired Lynn St. John and John Richards at the same time. With Richards gone, Ohio State put its trust in St. John. The athletic board appointed St. as OSU's second ever athletic director on December 18, 1912. The move was also news to St. St. John didn't know he was even being considered for the position until Thomas French, president of the athletic board, delivered the news that he had the job. Suddenly, St. John had a new role. 
and now he had the eyes of campus watching him as he took on his first big task, finding a new head football coach. In the search for a new leader to guide the team through the powerful Western Conference, Saint was also working against history. What OSU needed was stability, but what the program had, what it couldn't seem to get away from was volatility, perpetual change. Saint looked closely at OSU's coaching history. He saw that 1912 marked the 23rd season of Ohio State football, and in that time the Buckeyes had cycled through 11 head coaches. To make matters worse, each of the last three seasons, OSU had lost their head coach, including Big John Richards. Saint had a knack for getting things done, for being a diplomat, for being a master administrator and organizer. But things got off to a rocky start. Saint offered the job to a former star player from Illinois. The candidate turned it down. Saint regrouped and again offered the job to another candidate. Again, no luck. Two offers, no new head coach. St. John swung and missed twice. What next? There was one coaching candidate that had been on the back burner. Should OSU really turn to him? That candidate, after all, had been recommended by Big John Richards when he left OSU. It was pitch black dark in Chicago, late into the night, shortly after John Richards announced he was leaving Ohio State. Sitting with Big John in his living room was Thomas French, president of the athletic board. There they sat for hours discussing coaches who OSU should hire. Richards kept coming back to one candidate, John Wills. Wills starred as a player at Wisconsin and coached alongside Richards in 1911. Finally, Big John said, while Jack has had very little experience in big-time coaching, he is one of the keenest students of the game in the country, and I'd rather take a chance with him than anyone else I know. Give him the identically same material, and he will beat another coach four times out of five. French liked what he heard, and after two strikes on coaching candidates, OSU made their next move. Wills, John Wills, was coming to Columbus. John Wills would be Ohio State's new head football coach. Thomas French introduced Wills to Ohio State in the pages of the Spring Alumni Magazine. Mr. Wills was the first man mentioned by Mr. Richards last fall when asked to recommend a successor. He was associated with Mr. Richards two years ago and will take up work with the same system and the same enthusiasm that Mr. Richards started. Wills knows the student problems theoretically and practically. When a student, he was a leader in many activities. He was president of the YMCA, stroke of the crew, captain of the football team, and an all-Western fullback, leader of the glee club, etc., etc. In his short visit here recently, he won the confidence and respect of the men present. Coach Wills had served as an assistant at Wisconsin, but he had only served as a head coach at Lacrosse High School in Wisconsin. Only experience as a high school head coach. So it was, the third pick to be head coach of Lynn St. John, the fourth first-year head coach in a row at Ohio State, a guy that had never coached a college football game, not a single game. John Wills now stepped onto campus facing the gargantuan task of guiding Ohio State through the murderer's row in the Western Conference. The Western Conference would soon see what the Buckeyes and Coach Wills were made of. It was September of 1913. The season kicked off in a couple of weeks. 
Looking at the schedule, Wills had a grand challenge on his hands. A seven-game slate opened favorably enough with four games at home. After the opener against Ohio Wesleyan, Western Reserve would come calling. Then, the Buckeyes would welcome the always difficult perennial state power, Oberlin. The Buckeyes would finish the season with three of their last four against Western competition. Drawing Indiana at home, a team they had never beat, heading up to Wisconsin in a match against Wilson's old squad. The Badgers were defending conference champions, compiling an undefeated 7-0 record and a 5-0 mark in conference play last season with Wils as their assistant coach. The Buckeyes closed the season by coming home against Case and finished the season with a matchup against Northwestern, another Western squad they were playing for the very first time. But the schedule, Wils would see, could be far more difficult. The Buckeyes only played three games in conference and avoided matchups against the league's best coaches. They would not see the likes of the Amos Alonzo Stag coach Chicago Maroons or the Robert Zupke coach Fighting Illini. They also avoided Iowa, Minnesota, and Purdue, all of whom returned formidable squads. Wilson's goal now was simple, get the team ready to play. There are many moments in Ohio State history that are recorded in time. The weather is noted down to the degree. The exact amount of fans in attendance is recorded to the person. What exactly took place the first time Will saw his team is not known. But the upshot of the encounter was, Wills was unbelievably disappointed. He took to the pages of the Lantern, Ohio State student newspaper, to call out the sorry state of the football team and implore students to turn out. Wills said, At present time, there are on the list of the Department of Competitive and Recreative Sports but 35 men eligible for the varsity team. In an institution of the size of Ohio State, the students should not allow the condition to remain another day. There is splendid football material with your number, which should be brought to light and given a thorough tryout for the squad. Our entrance into the Western Conference demands the higher class of football, which only the hardest kind of work will bring. The success of the season will depend largely upon the faithfulness, interest, and enthusiasm shown. Then, writing in all caps, Wils, the football coach, yelled through the pages of the lantern, imploring action. All candidates report this week at the earliest possible moment at the athletic house. Wils continued, students of Ohio State, get those husky friends of yours. See to it that the morning of September 20th witnesses a squad of 100 men on Ohio field in shape for a flying start. Wills' team did get off to a flying start. They blanked Ohio Wesleyan 58 to nothing. They dispatched a pesky Western Reserve foe 14 to 8. Then attention turned to the brutal three-game stretch in the middle of the season: Oberlin, Indiana, and Wisconsin. Wills' team wasn't quite ready for prime time. Oberlin, a constant thorn in Ohio State's side, played the Buckeyes to an even draw. Indiana came into Columbus and downed OSU 7-6. Wisconsin blanked the Buckeyes 12-0. Ohio State's record stood at 2-2-1. They were winless in the Western Conference. The last two games would determine if Wilson's squad would end with a winning season. The Buckeyes rose to the task at hand. 
OSU blanked case. And at the end of the season on Ohio Field, the Buckeyes trounced Northwestern 58 to nothing. It was their first ever Western Conference victory. The Lantern recounted the action of the Buckeyes' dominant first conference victory. Outclassing Northwestern in almost every department of the game, Ohio State football warriors finished the season by overwhelming the Purple 58 to nothing. Nine touchdowns were made by Coach Wilson's protégés, and every one of them came as the result of good football. Only in punting did Northwestern show superiority. Wilson's first season was in the books. The Buckeyes finished with a winning record 4-2-1, and a 1-2 record in the Western Conference. With a blowout of Northwestern in the books and understandable losses against Indiana and Wisconsin, the program felt like it was moving in the right direction. Wrapping up the season, the Lantern assessed Wills' first tour as coach. Coach Wills took charge of Ohio State football this season and his success in building that efficient, ever-coming machine from a green squad has been universally recognized. Time passed, and with the first season as head coach under his belt, OSU had something to build on. Wilson's second season at the helm of the Buckeyes in 1914 would be another step in the right direction. And Boyd Cherry became Ohio State's first ever All-American. The Buckeyes knocked off Indiana for the first time in more than half a dozen tries, notching a 13-3 win in Bloomington. They dispatched Pesky Oberlin 39 to nothing and again blanked Northwestern 27 to nothing but two western squads continued to prove too much Wisconsin and Illinois Illinois blasted Ohio State 37 to nothing in route to an undefeated national championship season under coach Robert Zupke Wills was again outfoxed by his former Wisconsin squad that came to Columbus and walked away with a 7-6 victory the Buckeyes finished the 1914 season with a 5-2 mark and an even 2-2 record in the Western Conference. After two years, Ohio State under Wills had developed a pattern. Barrel through your Ohio opponents, beat up on Northwestern, play a close game against Indiana, and lose at least two games in conference, at least one of those against Wisconsin. True to form, Ohio State's 1915 season followed the same trend. The Buckeyes ran through Ohio Wesleyan Case and again throttled Oberlin. They squeaked by Indiana and blew the doors off Northwestern. Wisconsin again had their number. But it was another game that was the most important of the season. Interest swelled as Ohio State prepared to play defending conference champion and national champion Illinois. 2,000 temporary bleachers were erected at the south and north ends of Ohio Field to accommodate the crushing crowd. It was the biggest game of the year. At the pep rally before the game, there for the first time ever, a new song was played. OSU student William A. Doherty Jr. wrote the song that he called Across the Field. Little did Doherty know, Across the Field would stand as a rallying call for Buckeye squads ever since. Amid the swelling crowd in Ohio Field, Ohio State tied Illinois 3-3 on the strength of a relentless defense. The Lantern picked apart the action. 
exhibiting a defense that stopped the rushes of the Illinois backs time after time and showing themselves far and above their opponents in the matter of advancing the ball, Ohio State chased the crippled forces of Zupke from one end of Ohio field to the other Saturday. And when the smoke cleared away, the score stood at a tie of three all. Illinois would not lose a game all season, going on to repeat as Western Conference champs, finishing the year with a 5-0-2 record. The Illinois game was a major step forward in what would become a ferocious rivalry. For the first time, Wilson's team finished with a winning record in conference and secured another winning season at 5-1-1. The year-end banquet for the football team offered a chance to celebrate the season past and look forward. There at the Chittenden Hotel, the team selected fullback Frank Sorensen as captain for next year's 1916 squad. Despite not playing a full season due to eligibility issues, Sorensen scored five touchdowns, more than any other OSU player. A sturdy fellow called Swede by teammates, Sorensen was tough to bring down when he had a full head of steam. Wills took the opportunity to address the Buckeye squad. Alongside Sorensen and other returning varsity players was the OSU freshman team. The freshman players would be eligible to play on varsity as sophomores. Wills applauded the success of the year. He implored his team to practice hard in the spring because it would only be through that hard work that they'd be ready to take on Illinois and Wisconsin next year. The team listened eagerly. The team respected Coach Wills. The players knew the season had been a success, and just as importantly, Coach Wills was providing much-needed coaching stability. Lynn St. John may have offered him the job only after two others turned it down, but it was apparent Ohio State had their guy. And their guy, Coach Wills, had racked up a 14-5-2 record over three seasons among the higher class of competition in the ferocious Western Conference. Moreover, Ohio State stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the champs, Illinois, and walked away with a draw. Wills was doing things that others weren't, playing an open style of football, incorporating the pass to balance out the run. Wills knew that to take his team to the top of the conference, he would have to beat Illinois and finally take down Wisconsin. The road to the top led through Madison and Champaign. Will spoke to the team. Heads nodded. They understood the task at hand. One of the freshman players taking in the moment was a local, soft-spoken kid from East High School. Already that kid, that true freshman, had made a name for himself for his Herculean accomplishments in his high school days. Decades before recruiting rankings became an industry, that East High School grad was a five-star, top-of-the-class, blue-chip prospect. Wills may have known already that he had a good one on his hands, but no one knew the greatness that was about to come. The kid from East High School's name? He was Chick Harley. And when Chick Harley walked onto the varsity football field for Coach Wills that next season in the fall of 1916, all of college football would never be the same. Hey there, thanks for listening to I Want to Go Back, a podcast about the people, places, and events that shaped Ohio State football. I'm your host, Jim Baird. 
This podcast is part of Land Grant Holy Land's network of Buckeye podcasts. If you did like what you listened to, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Music for this season was provided by Fields Ohio, Fool's Fire, and Nick Jados. Thanks to you for really helping bring the, the history of the game to life with your music. A podcast like this builds on great research already out there. If you want to read more, I'd encourage you to check out a couple of things, including the official Ohio State Football Encyclopedia by the legendary Jack Park, and check the extraordinary rise of Ohio State football in the tragic schoolboy athlete who made it happen by Bob Hunter. Both of those books were invaluable resources as I put this series together. Thanks, and go Bucks.